Good morning, church family. Hey, I love it. How you doing today? Things going well? Still a little warm out there, but I'll tell you, you're coming to God's house and it feels perfect. Before we start, let's just uh, take advantage, about 30 seconds here. Stand up, greet your neighbors, welcome each other to God's house, and just say, good seeing you. You know, we are blessed to be able to be God's children. We are blessed to be able to come here to his house as we gather as his kids. But I am blessed to see each one of you because in doing so, you encourage me. You give me life. You give me smiles. And I think that's so much rewarding that we have missed is that connection for us as a family. And I thank you. I ask that you look in your bulletin this morning especially in this sheet right here. Just a reminder that we're going to be having a couple more potlucks throughout the summer. The schedule is posted here August 7th and September 14th. Uh, we always have an enjoyable time at the park. But the key thing I want you to remember and put on your calendar, August 7th is going to be starting Children's Sabbath School. Yay! I know they have been longing for this, and I believe that the Lord has blessed us to be able to say we're going to be doing a wonderful children's program here. It's going to be something different, but I believe it's going to be powerful. So August 7th, if you have any concerns, contact Keeney Mitchell or any questions, talk to her. And uh, I believe that our children are so important because right now they're meeting for their children's church, and it's always a joy to have them be able to participate and be involved. I do miss them in here, but uh, they are a blessing to us all. We at this point are not passing the offering plate, so what I do ask of you is, if you do have anything to give, you can put it in an offering tithe envelope which is in front of you on the pew. You can drop it in the towers as you leave the church. There's two in the foyer. You can place them into there. But also, too, I think it's important for us to stay connected. I know that we enjoyed it back before all this started when people took the liberty to fill out the connection card. It just allows us to know who's here. It allows us opportunities to meet our guests and allows us to be able to hear comments and prayer requests that you may have. So if you would do that, I appreciate it, and you can drop those into the tower as well. As you know, Pastor Sergio and Nancy are kind of on a two-week R&R. They're enjoying themselves up at Leavenworth now, playing in the cold, cold water. But uh, they're having fun. I'm looking forward for Pastor Larissa's message this morning. I know the Lord has worked with her. 
and she will move in a mighty way with the Spirit, um, what he provides for us. And again, too, a big part of church is our chance to be able to talk to our Father. I'm going to ask Bailey to come up here. She's going to lead us up with our corporate prayer this morning. But uh, just seek within yourself uh, your own prayer request as Bailey speaks on our behalf as a church as we come before our Heavenly Father. Please bow your heads with me. Faithful Father, we begin today by giving you thanks. Your love endures forever. It never fails. Though there are many ways in which we have failed, we have not exceeded the supply of your mercy and grace. We thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word. As we open the Bible today, we pray that we would hear your voice. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work opening our ears and our hearts to receive your word. Maybe, may we be transformed into your likeness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. To the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. If the stars to worship so will I I can see your heart in everything you've made every burning star a signal far of grace if creation sings your praises so will I Once you have spoken, 
Nature and science follow the sounds of your voice. Ooh, and as you speak, a hundred billion creatures catch their breath. what you said If it all reveals your nature so will I I can see your heart in everything you say Every painted sky and canvas of your grace If creation still obeys so will I So will I can 
morning, church. Happy Sabbath. Let's go ahead and start this morning with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to say thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us today. And I just ask that um, these words be your words and not mine. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. Our title for today is called Hungry Redemption, And we're going to be in a few different parts of the Bible. So if you want to join in your Bible, just know that you'll have to finger mark a couple chapters. Because we're going to be in Matthew, we're going to be in Mark, and we're going to be in Luke. But most of the time we're going to be in Matthew and Luke. There's been a few times in my life where I've messed up badly. And I mean Badly, And I can't help to have this desire to fix it, to redeem myself in this situation, to rectify it and make it better. Now, there's been like little mistakes such as stepping on my cat's tail or something as small as uh, breaking a dish in the kitchen. But I've also had quite larger mistakes that I've encountered in my life, like the time where I totaled my sister's car while she was in it on her birthday. 
And I cannot describe to you the desire or hunger in my heart for that car to get fixed. Because every time I saw it was a reminder or a memory of the mistake that I had made. And it matches no desire I've ever felt in my life for that car to be done. And I can't describe to you the relief that I finally felt when that car was fixed, finished, and done. A couple weeks ago, we uh, talked about, in the beginning, we talked about the garden. And we talked about, um, the title was, Where Are You? And we talked about Satan's temptation to Adam and Eve in the garden and how he made a three-point argument. Um, we called it the tripod effect, how it's three sections of stability. That It's like why there's three strands in a braid that makes it the strongest braid instead of two or just being singular. It's why when you have a tripod, the one is kind of wobbly, two is still wobbly, but three is secure. Because three is a strong number. And we talked about the three points that Satan made to Adam and Eve about God's character. How he said, oh, God is restrictive, he's unreasonable, God is untrustworthy, he's a liar, God is selfish and only looking at himself. And I was finishing up that sermon a couple weeks ago, um, and I... I couldn't help but think that there was another moment in history, in biblical history, that Satan made another three-point argument. And I followed that rabbit hole. And here we are. So we're going to be going down that rabbit hole together about another point in time in which Satan makes the same three-point argument. And it follows us in Jesus' temptations in the wilderness. So to give you some context, Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist. And that has just happened. And now he's in the wilderness for the temptations. But this is before Jesus is in his hometown, which Pastor Sergio talked about last week. Talking about how things link up. Oh my goodness. I was so excited when I found this. And so, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 4. We're going to be reading verses 1 and 2. And it says... Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And I love the way that this, uh, this verse is put. He was hungry. It's just so simple. After 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, he was hungry. Just a simple thing that he puts in there. In Luke, it gives us some more information, and it says that he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Again. So, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all mention Jesus' temptations, the fact that after he was baptized, he went to the wilderness, and he fasted. All of them. Now, Matthew and Luke go a little bit more into detail, but Mark is like, whoop. He makes one sentence mention of it and he's done. He's just like, yep, that happened, moving on. But Matthew and Luke go more into detail. So I'm going to be flipping back and forth between the two um, to kind of give us a fuller context of the story. Um, so if we flip between Matthew and Luke, just know it's on the screen. So Jesus has just been baptized. 
I would say he's on a spiritual high. You know what I'm talking about? You know those times where you just feel so connected to God. You feel on such a spiritual high that you cannot help but like tell everyone like, yeah, this is what's going on. He's fulfilled John's mission of preparing the way. The Holy Spirit has joined him. And even God the Father has spoken saying, this is my son who I am well pleased, who I love. And what should have been a celebration of celebrations, the start of Jesus' ministry, is exactly following what I would consider to be one of Jesus' lowest of lows. Not the lowest. I still think the cross and that moment kind of beats out this one. But I would say that this is one of Jesus' lowest of lows. And so he's hungry. He's in isolation from people. And all of a sudden, the devil shows up. And I imagine that Jesus looked at it a little bit differently. Because I imagine if it was me, that the devil would show up and I'd be like, oh, great. But when I think about it from Jesus' perspective, I can't help but wonder if there's a sadness that is accompanied in that moment. That Jesus sees this former heavenly angel, and he has a sad smile on his face, and his heart hurts as he remembers the history between them. And losing no time, Satan gets to the point of why he's here. In Luke 4, verse 3, it says, And then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. If you Satan is after one thing and one thing only, and it's the same thing that he was after in the garden. He is attacking God's character. He said, if you claim to be who you claim to be, if you are, then prove it. Simple enough. Then prove it. And he brings up Jesus's title, the Son of God. Um, a couple years ago, I got recommended this book. Um, it's called The Sonship of Christ. You can pop it up here so you can see it a little bit bigger. It's by Ty Gibson. If you have not read this book, really recommend it. Um, this talks about Jesus' title being the son, of, um, the son of God. And I'm going to attempt to talk about the first couple chapters today and try to wrap it up nicely. But really recommend this book. Um, I cried when I read this. Um, Ty has a way of opening up things that, and a way of putting things nicely that you would have never thought of. So, the sonship of Christ, this title, Satan attacks from the very beginning. And he brings them back to the, and in order for us to understand, we have to go back to the beginning, back to Adam and Eve again, which is what we talked about a couple weeks ago. In Genesis 1.27, it says something very beautiful. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so we see God creates man to look like God. And this, is, this could be a physicality thing, but it also could be a character thing. That they were so like God that when you looked at them, you couldn't help 
but think of him. In Genesis 5, it gives us a little more information about this. In verses 1 through 3, it says, This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness in his own image, and he named him Seth. So his own likeness, his own physicality, but also his own character. Now, when I say likeness, I think it's very important for us to know that that doesn't mean always that you are related to someone. I have a friend, um, her name is Danae, and we are very close. And if you were to look at us very briefly, you would think that we are siblings. She is a little bit taller than I am. She has brown hair. She and I are about the same build. We have very similar features. We even have a freckle on our hand in the same spot. Fun fact. But Danae and I are in no way, shape, or form, unless you go way, 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 way back, related. But we have a likeness that is similar. And so how do we get to this title being applied to Jesus, this son of God? Well, we have to look at the genealogy of Christ. And if we follow the genealogy found in Luke, it follows the fathers and the sons. And so in Luke chapter 3, verse 38, it says that the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, who was the son of Adam, who was the son of God. And in the sonship of Christ, Ty talks about this and he says, Do you see what just happened? The New Testament deliberately loops all the way back to the opening of the biblical story in order to tell us who Jesus is. And it does so by telling us who Adam is. And these two figures constitute the premise of the entire biblical story. As we will see, with greater and greater clarity as we proceed. Did I miss a sentence? There's Adam and there's Jesus. And so we see the succession of sons and daughters who pass on this image. And it starts with Adam being the son of God, the Bible tells us. But then there's a tragic shift in the story. And we talked about it a couple weeks ago. There's a shift in character. There's a shift and an interruption imposed on the plan. An interruption that we call the fall of humanity. An interruption that nearly effaced the image of God from the Son of God, thus disrupting the capacity of God's Son to transmit God's image from generation to generation. So what we see here is it's an interruption. We have sin. You can go ahead and pop that back up for me, Jason. Thank you. An interruption that puts a pause into the image of God from the son of God, Adam, which disrupted the ability to pass on God's image from generation to generation. And because there is this interruption, 
we have intervention that is needed. It had to happen inside of the human situation. It had to offer a new way forward with a new starting point than before. And it had to come in the form of a new son, and God, son of God to, to replace Adam. And as a new head of the human race that would reestablish God's image in humanity. Genesis 3 verse 15 says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is God talking to the serpent, to Satan. After the, after the fall of humanity, after Adam and Eve have sinned, he says to the certain, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and between hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And like we talked about, Jesus is this offspring that is mentioned. And there's going to be intervention, but it's going to take a little while. In Luke 4, verse 3, continuing on with the temptations, it says, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Satan knows that all it takes for God to work is to speak. He knows that at the beginning, all it took was God to speak, and creation came into existence. He said, Let there be light, and there was light. He knows that all it takes for Jesus to do is say, bread be stone, and bread is stone. Can we just talk about how cool that would be, though? <laughs> like, I don't know about you guys, but I like bread. I love bread. And to be able to look at any stone and be like, and bread. Forget something for potluck, and bread. You know, don't have something to go with your meal, and bread. <laughs> that would be so neat. And so he says, if you can speak into existence creation, then why not do it now? And here we see the start of Satan's three-point argument, the same one that we see in the garden. And Satan says this, he says, you know, God, the Father, is restrictive and unreasonable. You shouldn't be hungry. You've been out here, but you shouldn't be hungry like you're God, supposedly. You shouldn't be hungry. So if you are gone, make yourself not hungry anymore. Say the word, and it will happen. It's the same thing that happened with Adam and Eve when he asked them, don't you get to eat only from this tree? Or not from this tree in this case? He's going to their core desire. And I got to say, I'm impressed with Jesus here because after 40 days and 40 nights, hanger has got to be a real thing. Like, if you've ever been hangry, I don't know if you've heard that term, but it's that combination of the word hungry and anger. Happens quite regularly, I will say, in my household if I do not eat on regular time intervals. And so... I can't even imagine how hungry Jesus must be at this point. And Satan says, if you could just turn the bread into stones, you'll never be hungry again. And Satan is testing Jesus. He's attacking his character. He's attempting to refute who God is. He's saying, if you are. 
Have you ever wanted to prove someone wrong? They're like, hmm, if that's true, then, you sh- then, then do that. Let's see you do it. And we have this desire in our heart that just wants to prove someone wrong, that just wants to prove them that they're not right. It's like, ugh. And it's this challenge because we don't like being confronted. And normally, at least in my experience, I tend to do it because why not? Okay, fine, I'll try it. But Jesus takes it and he does something completely different. In Matthew 4, verse 4, he says, It is written, man should not live on bread alone, sadness, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Imagine the fury and irritation that Satan has, knowing that God, that Jesus has passed the first test. Oh, he got it. Right answer. Okay. Next tactic. And so what does he do? He takes Jesus to the next temptation or the next test. Now, Matthew and Luke differ here. Um, The first temptation they both say is the same as the turning um, stones into bread. But when we get to this point, Matthew um, says one temptation is the second one, and Luke says something else. And I think it's very important to understand the writer's intentions here in order to really understand why it's different. And so Matthew was written for the Jew. If you look at the way that Matthew writes, you know that he references Jewish lineage, customs, and he demonstrates to the Jews that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. In fact, we see he quotes so much of the Old Testament because in Jewish culture, they knew their Old Testament. They knew their Bible. And so there's no explanation of customs or anything like that because it was written for the Jews. It's like if I was talking to you young young people out there and I said, yeet, you know exactly what I mean. But a lot of other people are like, what did she just say? Because I don't need to explain it to you to understand what I'm talking about. And in the Greek language in which Matthew was written in, we see that what comes first or last is really important, that you have to pay attention to it. And so for Matthew, by mentioning one of the temptations last, he's actually telling the Jews, this is really important. Pay attention to this. And he mentions Jesus' kingship and says that this is important. And we actually find that that's important to the whole gospel of Matthew um, and how he wrote it. Now Luke, Luke is a little bit different. Luke was written for the Gentiles. Totally different audience at that point in time. So Luke was written for the Gentiles, and what he was trying to say is that Jesus is a Savior for everyone, not just the Jews, but for everyone. And so for Luke, Jesus relating to the outcasts and to women and to people who were not as represented um, was most important. And we see that especially Because when he mentions the temptation last about the temple, it highlights that narrative that Luke really focuses on and who was allowed in the temple and who wasn't. And so we're going to be following Matthew today, um, just for reference, because we have to pick one order to go in. So we're going to be following Matthew. We're going to continue in Matthew 4, 
verses 5 through 7. And it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and will lift you up to their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And I love several things about this moment, actually. Um, Satan actually quotes scripture here. He's quoting Psalms 91. He's quoting Old Testament. Satan knows his Old Testament. He knows scripture. Does that concern anyone else as much as it concerned me when I saw that? It's a little bit scary. So Satan knows his scripture. He said, hey, Jesus, this is what it says. It says that God will command his angels concerning you. So it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. And I love that Jesus responds with scripture. I can't help but think it's like a sort of Socratic method where instead of answering the, or replying with a question, it's replying with scripture back and forth. It sounds like some um, really bad Sab school classes I've been to before where it's just scripture and then rebuttal scripture and then rebuttal scripture. But Jesus answers with, another, with scripture and he says, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And I gotta pause for a moment and say there is danger in a one text answer. If we do not allow the Bible to be consistent, to speak consistently about certain topics, I think it would be easy for us to get confused or led. And we see Satan trying this. He's like, hey, here's this one text that says this. So that must mean that. And she's like, uh, uh, uh. We don't take just one thing that God said and just assume that's what he meant. We need to be consistent and pay attention to his character. The Bible says. I like to play a game sometimes with young adults called Bible or Tradition. And I'll ask simple questions and here's a statement. And I'll give a statement and you have to tell me whether it's Bible or tradition. For example, God will not give you anything you cannot happen, you cannot um, deal with. Bible or tradition? It's actually more tradition. If you go into the wording of it, there is a part of the Bible that does talk about God helping us. But that specific phrasing, God will not give you more than you can handle, Tradition. It's a fun game. And so I'm surprised how many people think um, of what it says in the Bible when it's actually tradition. And yet we see Jesus saying, ah, 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 I know this. I know my God. I know what it says. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And I wonder if there's a dual significance here. Like, don't put the Lord, put God the Father to the test. That's what the Bible says. But also, don't put me to the test. Is there dual significance in here? If you are the Son of God, 
throw yourself off. It'll be fine. And if you're not, you die and I still win. And you can see the logic behind Satan as he puts forth this temptation in front of Jesus. Which brings us to his second point argument. God it is untrustworthy and a liar. He says, you're not going to die. You certainly won't. Ring a bell to the garden. You're certainly not going to die. Jesus said, or God said that he was going to provide for you so that you don't hurt yourself. God won't allow you to die. But, Satan, or, but Jesus refuses to take the bait. And we see that Satan tries one more time. One final point. One last convincing argument. Matthew 4, verse 8 through 9 says, Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Notice the difference in wording here. No longer is Satan saying, if you are the son of God. But he changes his tactic, and he's saying something different. He's referencing Jesus' rightful ownership. When Adam and Eve sinned, it changed the world as God intended. Not only in character inside of Adam and Eve, but also in the procreation of life. In John 12, 31, it says, Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And when you look at the word prince, it's really interesting. It's actually the Greek word archon, which means one is invested with power or dignity. It's a title that can be given or a title that can be taken away. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, they gave Satan the power, including the things on earth, the created things. And in Matthew 4, 9, he says, if all this I will give you, if you bow down and worship me. You can have it all back. All of it. I know it got transferred to me, but you can have it all back. If you will make me like the most high. If you will turn your back on who you are and prove to the world that your character is not consistent. You can have the world back. I'll give it to you, gladly. And I'll sh if you show the world that you're not consistent. And so he makes his last and final argument. He says, show the world that you are selfish and you are only looking out for yourself. Show the world that you are self-serving. Show them that you're holding out on power and not giving it to anyone else. Because you can. You're just not. Show them who you are. And Jesus responds in verse 10, says, And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And in this wonderful moment, we see the start of something truly amazing. We see the start of our redemption. We see something happen here. This redemption starts. For every point Adam and Eve were tested, for every point Adam and Eve failed. Because, remember, if there's an interruption, we need 
an intervention. And it had to happen from the inside of the human situation. It had to offer a new way forward from a new starting point. And it had to come in the form of a new son of God to replace Adam in the form of a new head of the race that would reestablish the image in humanity. So what looks like the lowest low for Jesus is actually one of humanity's greatest highs. And what should have been a disappointment became a moment of massive redemption. Because for every point that Jesus was tested, Jesus also succeeded. For every point that Satan tried to get him to turn away, And to say, no, I'm not the son of God. I do not have that title. I am not the second Adam. I am not coming to redeem them. Jesus succeeded in ways that we couldn't and therefore redeemed us. The desire and hunger of God to fix what had been broken at the very beginning of time lasted a couple thousand years. Getting Kelsey's car fixed only took me a couple years. I can only imagine waiting a couple thousand years. The hunger and desire that God had to fix this lasted a very long time. From the beginning of the from the beginning a promise of an offspring, a redeemer in the flesh would come. This hungry redemption was never forgotten. This hungry redemption was never lost sight of. And over and over again, from the temptations to the cross even, Jesus gave us a second chance at becoming sons and daughters of God. And there could have been so many other options that he could have done instead. But he couldn't give us up. He had that desire to redeem us. He was not going to let Satan defame his character, and he was not going to let Satan take away his children. And I can imagine someday Adam and Eve's big sigh of relief. Thank you for doing what I couldn't. Thank you for fixing what I broke. Thank you for not giving up on me. And when they realize that it's done. There's not a shadow of doubt in my mind that anyone's gonna ask the question, is Jesus worthy of this? Is he worthy to take on this? Because the answer is over and over and over again. Yes, yes, Jesus is worthy.
creation groaning is a new creation coming is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst is it good that we would find ourselves of this have been redeemed. May you go in peace knowing that you are sons and daughters of God because Jesus redeemed us. Amen. Have a great day.